Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the Saints Score podcast where we discuss everything to do with Southampton Football Club. 11 years of Premier League football is now over, but oh, how did we go out in the most Southampton way possible? An enthralling eight-goal thriller against Liverpool ended in a 4-4 draw with the Saints' final four points coming against Manchester United, Tottenham, Arsenal and the Reds. To talk about it all and everything that's happened since the start of the season, my name's Harry Tizard. Joined by Ollie Boast, Jamie Allen, and Mikey Maidman. I'll go to Ollie first. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I wasn't able to catch the game or anything. I was in London, so I was getting pings through of what was going on in between rail stops, basically, on the underground. So there was definitely periods in the game where I, I was I was so pleased. And then we'll go through a tunnel, come through the other side, and you're like, oh, brilliant. Okay, we're, we're drawing again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was... It was quite a strange one. I'm quite interested to hear what Mikey says because he was at the game. Uh, I always really love the last game of the season. It always seems like it's beautiful weather. It's also like the FA Cup final. It always seems like it's got amazing weather when it's last game of the season. Um, you always kind of get to see the players' reactions of of the last game of the season. Obviously, if it looks like they're leaving, you get to see them kind of savour it a bit more. And I think we got that with Walcott and uh, Will Prowse kind of leaving the field and getting that innovation a standing innovation that they kind of they deserved as their 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 service to the club so i did get to catch that and kind of see that which was really nice to see and yeah kind of just a a bittersweet ending really such an entertaining and full-on game where you kind of wish why couldn't we have done that sooner but hey like you said like you said in the intro it's a very southampton way to leave the premier league well you pointed out mikey so i'll go to him next how are you doing this week yeah, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing good. Um, the game was very entertaining. It was, it was not what you expected, especially going two 0 down after 15 minutes. That's not the reaction that everyone thought was going to happen in the stadium. I think there was, there was maybe thoughts of six, seven, or eight. So, um, yeah, the, um, the game was really good. Again, weather was lovely. Uh, just a shame there was a couple too many Liverpool supporters in the home end for, um, for most things. But yeah, no, it was, it was a really, really good game. And Jamie, I saw during the game that you were quite emotional at 4-2 up. You thought the championship would be easy. (laughs) That it might be a bit more difficult than than first seemed. Well, yeah, well, me and Tizzy went to the stadium for the game. I got a couple of my shirts signed, which I was very happy with. Narek, Tino and the goat, Lianco. So um, (laughs) I I was quite excited and getting a bit of optimism into the game. But then... Yeah, when I was four to up, I put on a little story. I was like, oh, easy walking the championship here. And it's <laughs> typical Saints to go up, to come back from a 2 0 deficit to then win, be winning 4 2 just to draw it all. But hey, it's a fun and entertaining game to watch. Absolutely. And let's get to it. One point on the board, a 4 4 draw. Could have been no points, but also could have been three. 4 2 up, Adam Armstrong with the goal. Mikey, how did you see the game from the stage and what was the feeling around the, t- the place as well? No, it's, it's always a little bit weird the uh, last game of the season, especially when both teams don't really have anything to play for. Like Liverpool couldn't get Champions League football, they were only in Europe. We, of course, were already down. So it did make it quite a weird viewing and a weird feeling around the ground. Um, and I, I genuinely thought that we had a very good first nine minutes. We actually looked quite solid, and we were Liverpool weren't creating much over the first ten minutes. It was quite an even affair. And then Lavia 
forgets that he's playing for Southampton this season and not Liverpool next season and it sort of all <laughs> just collapses a little bit plays it straight to Jota and it is a open goal and some, I'm kind of surprised Jota went for that corner considering McCarthy was there like he was he was only about two yards away and he was about the, like 10 yards away from his other post but no it, it wasn't the best of starts after the second goal the atmosphere started to turn a little bit but of course not that much but it was a really good response um a response that hasn't really been seen for the entire season um and yeah it it just it was a really enjoyable game to watch just from a Southampton standpoint seeing us score four goals I can't remember the last time that happened but seeing Silamana score a couple players actually really enjoying themselves Tino's back on the pitch a couple of the youngsters coming through as well two debuts well, one debut because Doyle played against um, Brighton as well. But, um, yeah, it just felt like it, it was a really, really good game, but just quite a sad occasion for the last 20 minutes when all these players are getting subbed off and you're thinking, I'm not going to see you again, am I? Like That's, that's <laughs> the end of that. Um, but, yeah, just a, li- a little bit weird leaving the stadium because you're thinking, oh, that's a really good game. We put in a great performance against Liverpool, but we're not going to be able to do that next season. So, who knows? It, it was just a little bit up in the air because ev- it felt like everyone was going. That that was what the final walk was. Everyone was hugging each other. Everyone looked like they were leaving. Of course, Sells isn't going to be there. Some of the backroom staff aren't going to be there, either leaving for other jobs or getting cut unfortunately because that's just what relegation is it was it provides um walcott got a big ovation from the northern end because he's obviously going moy elianuzi less so but still got quite a nice reception too over the last three or four years he's been at the club so yeah it, it was it's just a weird sad game that that sometimes the end of the season just is ollie do you see it in a similar way that it was a thrilling game that didn't really mean too much, but at the end, it was still quite emotional. I think it's always interesting to see the players' reactions as they they kind of leave. I've always said that you see the ones trailing at the back, they're, they're soaking it up and they really want to get that last little bit of atmosphere from the fans, the ones that stayed it to the end. It's been a terrible season. So those people who did stay right at the end to kind of clap for that appreciation. Um and well, like Mikey said, it seems like a lot of players will be going. There will be a lot of changes naturally. But I also think we were probably going to have a lot of changes anyway, even if we did stay up. It is just that kind of period that we've come to. We've had that phase of recruitment that didn't go right. And so naturally, I think a lot of players were going to leave anyway. So I think we'll have a really big turnover this summer and we'll see a lot of players going. So yeah, like Mikey said, there was quite an emotional time because a lot of players are going to be leaving. And then, like I said previously, a lot of the fans are realising the big-name players, the the players that we've seen and had those exciting moments this season, we're not going to see next season. And it kind of brings on that uncertainty. We have no idea what it's going to be like next year. The optimists are hoping that we can bounce back up and we'll be seeing great football straight away. But that's not a guarantee. So... Kind of, yeah, just kind of brings on that uncertainty for next year. Uh, Jamie, what are your thoughts on the game? On, a, on the final game of the season, normally if there's two teams that don't really have much to play for, they sort of go for a 1 0, a 1 all draw, just go through the motions. It was anything but that on Sunday. Mm, it's, just, it's just sad seeing them have the fight now. 
Uh, and it's like Sellers is like, oh, I've made such a good atmosphere on the team. Yeah, you have now, maybe after we've been relegated, and we're going and relegated into which arguably the hardest championship season ever. <laughs> so it's it's not going to be easy next year by by no means, and it's just very very scary times. Like the boys have said, everyone's leaving. All the players got some two new key and stuff signed today, but. It's a whole big turnover into one of the hardest leagues in the world. Well, players that definitely are leaving, Theo Walker, Elianusi, they started again against Liverpool. Mike, are you surprised that they were still a key part of Sellers' side in the last few games? Or is it about trying to get the most amount of points on the ball? Because I see a lot of Saints fans wanting other players, younger players to come through. But it's not always the best situation to throw youngsters into maybe what's a, a bad atmosphere or maybe it's the perfect time because they've got nothing to lose well it's it's not only like the players advertising themselves it's sellers is advertising himself he doesn't have a job for next season at the moment and he wants to be in management and currently he's he, what he's two wins in in the stage that he's had this in the premier league this season so if he can get a result against Liverpool, he's going to get a result against Liverpool. He's not going to be trying out for the new manager, displaying all the squad that he may have for him to offer. It's his team. It's his his decision making. He's going to go for the players that um, the players that he wants to use. Elian Uzi and Walcott have been key to the way that he wanted to play in that four four two system. So he was going to start them, even if they're not going to be at the club next season. Um, so I, I was. I was a little surprised by the Liverpool lineup. I wasn't expecting them to rotate as much as they did. I expected like James Milner to start and Firmino to start, but I didn't expect like half the defence not to not to be there anymore and and everyone to change. Um, but for us, I, I think it was kind of expected. Uh, I I think the only the only surprise was to see Solomon start. I think is. <laughs> He hasn't he hasn't really been involved in the last seven games, so for him to get a start was quite good. But no, I, I think it was quite expected from the game against Brighton last week. How Sellers was quite happy with the way that we played and the way that we showed ourselves. So little rotation made made quite a bit of sense. Ollie, do you agree as well? Well, I think you look at players like James Bree. He's going to be a player who's ideal for the championship but you can still include him in the lineup that doesn't massively hinder us I think Mikey's right Sellers is going to be selfish and try and sell himself and I think a lot of those players that were given the opportunity Sunamala was very open in the fact that if there's opportunities later in the window he might go and he scored two goals uh, on the weekend and he looks very good there will be people having a look around him to see if he's available so yeah, I think it's you want to play a strong side. And I think, like you mentioned, it's going to be a lot to just chuck them in at the deep end against Liverpool, even if it is a rotated Liverpool side. You didn't know that they were going to rotate a lot. You could assume it. But there's, I think he did the right thing. He brought those players on. They've got their taste of Premier League football. And I think they had short little bursts of, um, well, impacts really, that they can take confidence from. I mean, you couldn't really guess how the game would go. If you had 2-0 down, which we did, and you had the youngsters on, it could have been an absolute disaster, couldn't it? There's no guarantee that they, you would have had the same reaction with um, some of those younger players on. So could have gone really poorly and absolutely shot their confidence. Whereas introducing them on later in the game, they got five or ten minutes 
had some exciting kind of bright moments and then can take some confidence from it. Jamie, do you look at that team and, and sort of look at it and go, well, are they trying to prove themselves for Russell Martin as well? Whoever the manager's going to be, but it looks like it's going to be Russell Martin. The players like Adam Armstrong, Suleiman, who have had maybe a quiet six months or maybe in Suleiman's Sumar's case five months we only joined in January <laughs> but it's their their time to go look I can be either a starter for this team or I'm, I'm a big asset that you can sell and, and get money from I think any player who's at a current Premier League club is looking for that option to go elsewhere I think if you have the facilities to prove it like Suleimana did have in that one maybe just that one game he had the facilities to prove he's a player to stay in the league but yeah I think yeah I think the likes of Bree Bednarek, that might be about it. <laughs> the only ones that are trying to impress Martin because everyone else on that starting lineup has has an opportunity to go elsewhere. Or maybe not Lianko, but it, all the other players are good enough to stay in the Prem. So I think that's all their minds were on was playing to the best of their abilities to get that move away. You know, all te- all the teams on match of the day, so everyone's going to be watching. You know, so that's their thought. You know, Gary Lick is going to sell me. Yeah. I mean, only Southampton could be fifth on match of the day after a 4-4 draw. That is (laughs) seriously impressive. But going on to the game, we normally like to look at it deeply, analytically, to then push on for the next game, pull out the positives, the negatives. But this is the final game of the season and the entire squad is going to change. So we can look at X, Y and Z, but a lot of things will be different by the time the championship kicks off in August. Mikey, what can you take from a game like this when the, the future is so unknown? I think what you can take is there is real need recruitment, especially if we're going to lose two of them to bring in defensive midfielders. I think that is one of the main keys that I, w- I would definitely say because Lavia had to come off around about the hour mark and we had to replace him with Stuart Armstrong, who was not a defensive midfielder. And then when Warprouse was taken off and given his round of, round of applause, we then were playing Charlie Alcaraz and Stuart Armstrong as two defensive midfielders playing in front of a back five and that's when it really did start going um i think from the game in an overall reflective i think when we when liverpool went two nil up they got lazy though all of a sudden they they were being so effective salah pinned walker peters quite effectively i know you said you weren't going to do the analysis but i'm going to do it anyway (laughs) um (laughs) salah pinned walker peters quite effectively um and kept getting in behind in those instances um, Jota kept the width really well and it spread our back four and we we couldn't really cope with it but as soon as they went 2-0 up I think they thought they were going to go into a bit of a goal fest because all of a sudden Salah and Jota were then really really narrow Brent of course cuts inside now he doesn't make overlapping runs so all of a sudden the only width that was provided was Simicast and he got a little bit lazy he wasn't doing those overlapping runs so they were really struggling to break us down and I don't want this to sound overly negative, but we caught them on the counter-attack a couple of times. That that was it. We we had quality of finish, which we haven't had all season. Um, we majorly perform, outperformed the chances that we created. And yeah, we just caught them out on four or five occasions, stuck four of them away. It wasn't like we matched Liverpool. It wasn't like we were better than Liverpool. It was more funny that we'd scored four against Liverpool um, than anything else. But yeah, I, I think what, what the performance shows is that we do need a little bit more of a ruffling up, have a little bit more control over games, be able to dictate and be able to control that ball a little bit better because... 
we struggled. We we struggled a lot, especially coming into the last twenty minutes. As soon as Warprowse left the field, we basically didn't even get out of the house until Walker Peters had a shot in the ninetieth minute or so. Uh, we we really did struggle. So. No, I, I think with the performance, I don't think it's a discredit to Sellers. I don't think it's a discredit to the players because I just they're not as good as Liverpool's players. But I think that's what it shows is that we need to change style of play because we haven't been able to cope all season with chance creation and goal scoring. Well, just to keep it on you, do you think that's something that Sport Republic has pointed out, or do you think they were going to do it anyway of the the heavy possession style that it seems that Russell Martin's going to be able to implement? Well, I think that's what the idea was. I mean, even they they try to change style mid season, and they show it. It sort of showed that it didn't work. Nathan Jones, even though he played a more pressing style, it was a lot more manic, less control. Ralph was always playing out the back, but. We were hitting longer balls vertically, being a little bit more direct, and it, it just didn't work under Jones because it was too much too soon. And you could tell as soon as Jones lost his job, it was Jesse Marsh who was the one that we were going to try and get in, who plays a very similar, pretty much identical system to Ralph because they're both Red Bull managers. So it would have been that four four two. It would have been all that all that sort of stuff, but. Yeah, so that, that's why Sellers came in and he was the manager on top of that because he would have implemented Ralph's system. I think the overhaul mid-season didn't particularly work and they, they almost are going the other way with Jason Wilcox coming in as the director of football, being the man from Man City, being the man who wants to control games and that's the way that City have done it and had success, then that's what we're going to do. And I think people have got to remember... Even though the championship is going to be difficult, we should be one of the stronger sides this uh, next season, either with the squad that we currently have now or either with the recruitment that's going to be made from the profit we make from players. Because as much as, as much as yes, we're going to be losing a lot of personnel for probably less money if we were in the Premier League now that we're not, we are still going to make money on these players. We're still going to make, uh, like, what Belakot chap was nine nine ten million pounds. He's wanted by lots of clubs in Germany, and we can probably squeak twenty to twenty five million. Lavia, we're talking fifty sixty. Warprouse, we're probably talking about forty to fifty million. So we will have money to spend. We will have the ability to change the style of play um, that we want to do. So it'll be a lot of recruitment. Um, but if we're going to be one of the better teams in the championship, teams like Burnley have shown that if you recruit well and have good players, you can control games and you can do well. So I think that's the thought behind Sport Republic and, and Jason Wilcox coming in is if we're going to be one of the better teams, we need to play like a, a strong, better team than a, a team that's going to be playing on the counter-attack. Well, someone that was recruited in January was Kaladim Suleiman, and he sort of took the headline away from James Royal Prowse. A lot of people thought, oh, he scored, that's a nice ending for his Southampton crew. At least it looks like it with his 409th appearance. But Oli, Suleiman, mm -hmm. two goals, one of them Buffal esque against West Brom, if you don't <laughs> mind me saying so. What did you think about his performance, but also his comments after the game as well? Um, about him maybe taking an opportunity if it does come, but also happy if he does stay in the championship. Yeah, I <clears throat> mentioned it a little bit earlier, just kind of hinted it. I haven't got the exact quote in front of me, but he's basically being really upfront, saying that if a reasonable offer comes up, I will explore it. 
but I'm also happy in the championship as well, which I think is the the sensible thing to say if you are in that position. I think he realises that there may be people that come in for him, but he's going to do what's best for his career. He's a young player. People will be interested, but if it's... Um, first of all, if he can get on the project with Southampton, if there is a strong project that we're going to... We are going down, but going to rebuild, and it looks positive. You know, likes the manager, likes what he's doing. There's a, what would you say, like a good atmosphere around the club and that some things that didn't go right are changed and it looks like an upwards momentum. That might want to keep him around and he might not want to move possibly sideways or somewhere else and move to yet another team and try and um, get settled again. Equally, he played really well against Liverpool. He definitely put himself in the shot window. There will be some people looking at him and there might be more attractive offers elsewhere and he might go and explore those. So I don't blame him. I mean, a lot of players are also going to be in that situation as well. They're going to see what we have to offer. And if there's an offer that's better elsewhere, then they go as simple as that. Like I said previously, people will have to be selfish and they will have to do what's best for their career. Um, So I don't really expect it. I just hope that as a club, we build a good enough proposition to try and keep at least some of these players. We know a few will go, but if we can try and keep as many as possible by selling them this proposition, then hopefully it will stand us in good stead for the championship. And someone that's definitely on their way out is Theo Walcott. Jamie, are you a bit disappointed that he's going? I think a lot of people mm. expected it, especially because the wage that he was on. It's always difficult, especially when you're in the championship, to to keep those wages. He might be staying in England, might go to the MLS, I'm not too sure. But with us going down, losing even more experience now, how, how do you feel about that deal? I think it's just such a shame that Theo Walcott is leaving the club because he it may not have been with us too long as a playing career, but I do think he would go down as a club legend. And to lose an experienced head like that in the championship will be a big miss. But I don't think it was his decision to leave. I think it pro- probably with the wages that you said mentioned, Harry, like the board probably don't want to be paying that in the championship. It's so hard to get back up and it could be a waste, seen as a waste of money. But I don't know, I think maybe we would have stayed in lower wages, but there's no point debating whether he would or wouldn't because he is, he is leaving. So wherever he goes, I do wish him well because I, I was a massive fan of him, especially the last few games of the season as he really did switch on because I do believe he's one of the few players that actually cared about the club staying in the Premier League because I think it's quite evident that some didn't. And Mikey, someone that almost certainly is going to go, you never know, it's football, things could change, is James Ward-Prowse. How did the stadium feel when he was subbed off on the 87th minute? Sellers, he didn't say it was a goodbye, but for me, it's pretty obvious. He's played every single minute of every single game up until that point, and he's brought off for a new guy, 16-year-old, that really had quite a positive game from from what the highlights, if you consider that. Um, it, it, it was the substitution that Southampton fans did not want to see. I, I think that, that was the overall reflection of it. The... Um, the almost sigh of an oh no could be heard around the entire stadium because it it was like that that did feel like the final goodbye it it, it sort of did um he will have many offers in the summer to go out and go and get him he, he's just such a quality player so yeah no it, it it was very sad when he came off but of course the the lads coming through those are the new ones that need to be blooded if if Southampton want to continue being known as 
the academy side, the side that gives players a chance. They've got to give players a chance. Ward Prowse is probably the last one you could probably say uh, out of like the last five, six, seven, eight years that has actually stuck around in the first team and been given that opportunity to continue and stay. Not saying that other players haven't, but you look at players like Harrison Reed and Matt Target, Sam Gallagher, who's playing in the championship. These are players that probably could have made an impact, but due to the situation where the club was, we chose to go in a different direction and it's not quite worked how we wanted it to go. We want to establish ourselves as a top six side, top seven side, and we've gone on a different path and now we're going to be playing championship football next year. So I think that's something the club has really been looking to reinvest in. They've looked at the situation of going who are who's the best uh, development of talent across the country and they've looked at Man City's model and gone right we want to try and apply that here who can we get so we've taken all of Man City's staff that we possibly can <laughs> and now they're going to be um, a part of the football club now and it's something that I hope I hope that's probably one of my main hopes is that relegation from the Premier League will hopefully allow more players to be given opportunities in the first team and be given that chance to develop. Um, it, it was one of probably the um, it's one of the things that I've grown up with. You got to see Gareth Bale and Andrew Sermon. Those were two of the first players that I got to see come through from the Southampton Academy and play in the first team. And they're two of my favourite players that I got the um, pleasure to wa- watch in the Southampton shirt too. So no, I, I hope that's something that does get um reinvested in the club of allowing these players to be given the opportunity because you saw from from the slight um the slight coming ons of Don Ballard and Sam Amay um I'm not gonna be able to say this. Uh, <laughs> Sam Amu and Wayu, that's how I'm gonna go. But that's something that we've all got to practice over the summer. <laughs> that's a name we've got to get right. Um but hopefully they do get given their opportunities for next season because they've made a really good impact. They they have quality. They've won the under-18s division. They then won the Premier League 2 this year and managed to get promoted as title winners as well. So, yeah, they, they're definitely players with talent and players that I believe can make an impact in the first team next year. So you mentioned that Southampton got relegated from the Premier League. There's many reasons for that. We're going to go through the season right now and rank the reasons that Southampton have gone down. And first, before a ball was kicked, before the transfer window even opened, there were murmurings that with everything, everything changing around the club, Ralph Hasnutel, when he could have been he could have been sacked, he wasn't in the end. Ollie, how big of a decision was that? And what impact do you think that had? Hmm. I think it was the final throw of the dice. It was, we'll give you the players, we'll get you in a new assistant coach, see how that works. Try and do a little restructure, see if that little tinker can set us off right and we can try and in the new season. I think the idea was to try and have some sort of core stability because we stuck with Ralph for quite a while. And I think he got up to one of the, at least one of the longest serving managers for that period of managers in the league. I don't know where it was, but it put him up fairly high considering how quick the turnover is. Um so I think the idea was try and keep some stability, put that faith in the manager, and then try and bring these new players in to learn the system. However, it seemed like we kind of got figured out a little bit. The The pressing style worked up to a point, but it just wasn't working any longer. And 
yeah, like you said, we had these changes. It wasn't really effective. And it's very easy to look back now and thought, well, if we just sacked in them, got a brand new manager in, then hopefully we would have been better. At the time, I didn't really question the logic for it. And it actually seemed fairly sensible. But it was changes to the management in the background, but still sticking with the old and then bringing a load of players in to now learn this very complicated Ralph system as well. So although it seemed like a sensible idea on paper, I think it also allowed a lot of kind of confusion, a lot of pressure on these new players to try and learn this system and try and be effective in it. And also while simultaneously losing a lot of senior people who did know what they were doing in the system, which I'm sure we'll mention in a minute. David, do you think it had a huge impact or do you think it's almost impossible to say? Because if maybe we moved on Ralph Hasnuto and got someone else in, maybe the transfer strategy, it would have been the same, but maybe a few different tweaks here and there about the players that we might have tried to get, although it's still under the same overarching Sport Republic brand. I, do, I think if they had the, the slight thought of he might not be here at the end of the season, there's no point spending £100 million on players for a manager you don't have fully 100% confidence in. So I think there's quite a big oversight from Sport Republic in general, really. I think obviously yeah, Ralph had his weaknesses and had his strong points for his tenure at Southampton, but I think the whole issue comes down to them not having 100% faith in the manager from the get-go. Yeah, he might want to bring a few different players, but... I don't think that's what got us relegated. The fact that's got relegated was we didn't have trust in our manager and we didn't bring in experienced players and we let go of our oldest ones. Well, we'll talk about the recruitment. That's the second point. Poor transfer recruitment. Six under 23 players were brought in January, uh, sorry, in the summer. And we got over May, Resmond, Forster, Stevens, Bednarek, and Shane Long, if you want to add, add into that list. <laughs> Mikey, how important or you know, how painful was that recruitment strategy in our eventual relegation? How much of an impact do you feel like that has? I think it had quite a I think it did have quite a high impact in how, how we were managed by Ralph and then therefore throughout I think I think looking at just the summer is a bit of a um I don't think that's enough. I think if you look at the entire the entire year of recruitment, it's just been a little bit mental and it feels like there's not really been a plan. I think going on the previous point, I think the board going into the summer saying to Ralph, going, look, we, we were going to fire you. We're not going to fire you. But if things don't improve by the World Cup, and, and I think that message may have taken Ralph's eye out of his system a little bit and he wanted to try something new and try something a little bit different so we're recruiting to play for a pressing style that then we didn't really press for so all the it's not even like the ones that were still at the club like war prowse and walcott could then teach the new players how to do it because they were still learning the newly adapted ralph system that he wasn't overly confident with we didn't press as high from the front anymore we only played one striker we didn't play two and it was just, um, yeah, just a little bit different and a little bit more squiffy in, in how we were playing. And I think that showed, I know, very technical. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I think that that was one element of it. I think the recruitment for like a future standpoint may be good. But again, we don't know what level these players are going to get to in the future. Um, but for now, the quality in the squad dropped, definitely. I think there were... 
some murmurings about Jack Stevens, Nathan Redmond not being good enough, but we knew how good they were. And like bringing someone like Samuel Adozi, who he may be a talent in the future and he's definitely got talent now, it, it may be a little bit shaky on whether he had the ability to play in the Premier League this year or not. And he was one of the punts that didn't come off for this season. So, yeah, I think you can say that about the recruitment strategy in the summer where we bought in Coletikar. We did bring in Joe Aribo as well, two players that have European experience about them. Um, but, yeah, I think that core of the dressing was definitely something that was lost and never got rekindled. And what made it even more tricky is as soon as you may have got that rekindling, all of a sudden some of the players go away for um, for the World Cup. We had two players off in Salisu and Bella Kotchap. And everyone else probably split for their winter holidays because everyone could. So they had a couple of weeks off then. And then they all came back with a new dressing room made up for them because half of them were going to spend the time in one dressing room and half of them were going to spend the time in the other because we signed so many players throughout January. I think that's where you can say there's a real kick in the teeth because probably half the squad may have not even talked to each other until the end of January. They might not have seen them. You don't know. Like it's, it was just so incredible. We were recruiting players upon players upon players, and you just go, well, where do they fit? What what element are they bringing? We've got 31 players in our first team squad. You can't even register that for the Premier League if they're all over 23. And we had such a large squad, it was just where we were going to fit them all in. And you end up having our new signings playing for the B team. You're having people spread across everywhere like you can't even do an 11 a side game in training because you've got six substitutes on the side ready to come on it is just insanity so i think that's where the club went into panic mode i think that with the appointment of ruben sellers i think that was that realization of going no we've we've really stuffed this we have to be prepared for the summer we have to be prepared and that's that's what's sort of happening at the moment we've seen this big turnover of head of departments now we're getting new people in um and that's what the hope is is that everything's done and dusted and sorted for the start of june and that means that fingers crossed we can start moving i know the head of recruitment's coming in on the first of july the two that are coming in with their jobs that have just been announced they're coming in on the first of july but they'll be in contact with the board and everyone else into what they want to do and achieve when they're here so it should be okay sticking with that recruitment ollie was it too much too quickly maybe if you cut six under 23 players to three and maybe you kept stevens and you kept resmond then at least the standards could stay high there's not as much disruption in the dressing room how much of an impact do you think that had that there was just such a big change yeah, it felt like a squad overhaul, but everyone was an under-23s player. So you didn't have someone to learn off, to, to bounce off, to kind of get that the mentorship. It, it wasn't really there. And yeah, like you said, you had players like Redmond and Stevens who weren't very consistent. And I think that's why they were kind of moved on. And we thought, oh, we want someone who's at a higher consistent level than they were performing at. But yeah, you lost a lot of that that leadership, that know-how, that kind of daily runnings of the club. They knew how it worked and you just kind of lost that. So you had a lot of new individuals all in one place, not really clicking. And this big gamble, it made, again, it's a smart business choice. They're young, they're, they want to prove themselves. I think that's a lot of the reason why we got these players because they felt, they could take this step up and they could prove themselves. 
Um, and it's like we've we've said all season, basically. But that lack of leadership really hurt us it, in those key moments, in those games. You need those cool heads to be able to turn a game around, implement a game plan, can stay somewhat consistent within those games. And that's where we got let down. There's a lot of times where... Um, that leadership was really noticeable that it wasn't there. It was it was lacking. And uh, although they were promising, although uh, later on in the years, they will be very good players and they have that potential there. They're very high ceiling players and we will probably retain a lot of the value on them as in a business sense because they're still young. They have shown themselves in points to be very skillful and um, talented players. So in, in that sense, we will probably recuperate the amount of money that we spent. But yeah, in terms of results, it just wasn't there. Jamie, this is all part of recruitment, but I'll put it as its own separate bullet point because I think it's that important. In that summer window, we weren't able to find that clinical goal score or I mean, maybe just at least an experienced goal score. You're going, going to the season with Sakumara, Adam Armstrong and Che Adams. How, how much of a change does that have on our season overall? If we're able to get that top-level striker, or at least a 10-goal-a-season striker, that could have a huge impact. But instead, Rafa Asnuto has probably let down on his promises, or what he was promised, and he has to go go into the season with maybe a, a lower-quality front line than he was expecting to. Hey, you're saying signing Sakumara, who only scored six league goals last season in league and wasn't a good <laughs> idea? It could have worked. It could have worked, but maybe not as a as a first team option. But it's just it's the same thing happened to Ralph the previous summer when we had a bit of a tiny bit of relegation fight. It's just he was sold on false promises of getting that striker. Brozier was, if anything, lucky that we got him. Yeah, we might, we didn't we thought it'd be all right, but we didn't nowhere near. No one could have guessed that it would have gone on to be fairly successful for us last season. So, so Ralph basically for two or three windows was waiting for that striker like Danny Ings, which we kind of did have the money for as it was shown because we bought other players, but we just never ever put bit the bullet on going for that big num that big play. I guess we did try and sign Gakpo. We tried to sign the Portuguese guy. Carlo Ramos. Carlo That's Ramos. the one who had a decent World Cup. But <laughs> it's just like we never really did get that over the line. It was just we tried to bring in these teenagers to do the job that really a, a player in the 28th, 29th, their prime football can only really do. And it's just a massive oversight to think that we can spend Premier League without replacing someone like Danny Ings over the last two years. And as a result, Ralph Harsin until well, he was gone. 14 games, 12 points, not really good enough in the Premier League, 4-1 loss to Newcastle. That seals it. Mikey, how much of an impact do you think that had on the season? Or do you think it was about the replacement of Nathan Jones? I think it did have an impact on, on how everything was run. I, I think as as a club, we were quite stable for three years under Ralph. And then as as the times changed, as new ownership came in, that became a little bit more unstable. Um, I think it's been talked about on the uh, podcast The Athletic did. Um, it was talked about that there was a lot of um, uncertainty and a lot of like the club was basically allowed to run itself under Gal. Like under Gal, everyone did the roles. Gal was not involved at all throughout the entirety of it. So it was very much a self-run club. And the Sport Republic came in. They wanted to be more involved, which can be seen as a positive because your owners want to be involved and it can bring a little bit of lift to the area. But then again. 
we had quite a settled way of doing things and then it just sort of everything started getting disruptive people not being aligned in the way that they want to work and that's probably where some of the signings came from some of the decision making came from and that's what where we ended up with nathan jones um so i think it did make a big effect on on the club and how things were run day day to day um and as much as uh, Again, going to a previous point, as much as keeping players in the first team may have made a difference, not bringing in these young kids and having Nathan Redmond with us. It was also reported that some players at the end of last season were saying that they weren't going to turn up if Ralph was still in a job. So that's probably why they had to get moved on, because they were no longer in an agreement with with, um, the manager. So, yeah, it probably started getting disrupted before even um, before the end of last season anyway. but no, what was the point? Sorry, I went on a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> Ralph Harsnews was sacking him 14 games, 12 points. How yes. much for a change does that put on our season? Um, I, I think it does change the season quite a bit. And but, but with the profile of the squad, it made it difficult to bring in someone like who would be able to play these, this possession-style football or like change the style of play a little bit more. Um, I think the club did miss a hitch by bringing someone in who's a little bit more experienced in the Premier League and, and went for someone a little bit more left field under Nathan Jones. And you know, no, it could have worked if he was given time. Maybe if he was recruited in the summer or or, or something a little bit different. But it was just a weird period. It was just a very weird period where it felt like nothing had changed over the six weeks that they had off um, during the World Cup. Um, him saying that he's not um, he's not playing his way, he's playing a different way, and now he's going to play his way. It was just all a little bit strange, and um, it's going to be recorded as a time at the club where I don't think anyone really knew what was going on. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm sure he'll end up going somewhere else and having great success, maybe back to Luton, but that looks unlikely <laughs> now when they're in the Premier League. But um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it was an interesting time, but I think I think the sacking of Ralph could have swung either way we've seen ralph have really really poor moments of form something changes and he kicks up again and we look like one of the best teams in the league so it it did go either way um with ralph and he just could never kick it back up again or he wasn't given that opportunity this year to kick it back up again so yeah they, they decided to sack him which I think, as Ollie said, it wasn't it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't out of nowhere. It sort of felt like it was coming throughout that Newcastle game that he was going to get sacked. Um, and I think it, it definitely made a huge impact on the season, but we didn't get the replacement right. Ollie, you look at the teams that survived Nottingham Forest with Steve Cooper and West Ham with David Moyes, although near the end, West Ham weren't in too much of a relegation fight. And the teams that went down, us, Leeds, Leicester, we all changed our manager. Do you think there's any level of regret that things may, maybe they could have changed under Ralph Harsnutel or was his position just completely untenable? I think people, a lot of pundits at least, forget at the time reports coming out of the, the dressing room atmosphere just being at an all-time low but could things have changed maybe I don't know there was a lot of people who near the end of the season especially when we went on that terrible run under Sellers everyone's saying oh if this was Ralph this wouldn't have happened Ralph would have got us more points than this and uh, yeah a lot of people kind of looked back with rose tinted glasses I think that's the right colour 
at his kind of period and thought he was getting the maximum out of these players. And I do think to a certain point there were people who definitely were, who definitely succeeded in that Ralph style. And um, there would maybe possibility if Ralph did get that January transfer window, he could have got in his players and that consistency would have kind of carried on through. But I think the managerial changes were at points where they were most they could have the most impact. So it was the perfect time to get a new manager with that World Cup window, but it just wasn't the right person for the job. It was too ambitious, I think is what it was. It was meant to be this massive, this massive change, fix the problem. There's this, this, you know, we're not performing. We'll, We'll completely change ourselves to this new and upcoming manager and surprise everyone. And we'll kick on and then we'll save our season. That didn't happen. We got worse. And then we got another person in, saw a quick change and thought, brilliant. Okay, we finally fixed it. We'll put our faith in with them. And then we see the drop off again. So it just seems like with every new change, it was another layer of of mystery, really. Uh, just confusion, no, no cohesion and just adding to that kind of frailties within our side. And yeah, just a real mess, really. It does make me think, yeah, if, if you did kind of say Ralph is, if he's going to just stay with us. But like you said, there was there was problems in the background as well as the results. So I think he had to go. And I think at the time, everyone was calling for it. And easy to look back now, but I think, I think he did have to go. And you can make guesses, but you never really know what would happen if you gave him to the end of the season. I don't think he was in the same position as Steve. Steve Cooper was kind of, you know, he he had such admiration from the fans to even get them into the league for the first place. And that loyalty was repaid and he kind of stays at the end of the season. And again, Moyes had some turbulent times, but he's proved he was there once, sacked and then got brought back again and installed that consistency and eventually stayed through. So yeah, there is part of me that thinks what happens if we did stay on, but I don't think you can do that to yourself. I think you have to realise at that time that is what we did. It made sense and we just got the decision wrong. Well, Hearts Neutral out. Jones in one win in eight Premier League games <laughs> followed. But also we did stop a possible Manchester City quadruple. So that'll <laughs> look pretty funny in the history books as well. Jamie, do you feel like it was the right time for that sacking of Ralph Hearts Neutral? But similar to what Ollie said, what Mikey said really, that it was just the wrong replacement, especially when you got the likes of Dyche Hodgson on the market. But then again, a lot of people would say that's unambitious or that's a boring old sort of appointment maybe at the time. So it's a, a difficult situation overall, just just the wrong appointment. I mean, I don't think I ever saw a Hodgson link, but, um, but yeah, it's definitely 100% the wrong person to bring in because in that moment we were still bottom of the league and there's enough time to make a change. There's enough time to for us to have that little fun little last day of the Premier League and all safe and sound, and that four-all draw being lovely. But it was, I think it was just Atkinson trying to be clever, trying to use his statistics, but unfortunately, when it comes to the grit of it, you have to have a Premier League proven manager in that situation, because that's how you get the situation. Like, John Dyche saved Everton, and Everton should have gone down, realistically. They're, they've been awful all season, similar, same as us, and they had a manager that was worked and has been successful in the league. To look at other like Leeds, Allardyce, yeah, came full game, did all right. And then Dean Smith coming at Leicester didn't really have the 
best success of Villa as they should have got relegated if it wasn't for that VAR weird call from their offline. But like I said, he was the one manager had 10 plus years experience and they stood up and I don't think that's too much of a surprise. Mikey, you mentioned January recruitment a bit earlier, but that's a point that we're going to go on to now. It was a bit of a scattergun approach. Orsic at the time, I saw loads of people from outside the Southampton world thinking that is a fantastic signing. Six minutes of Premier League football followed. Unsurprisingly, no goal, no assist. Onowachu, Alcaraz. At that point, the season was still salvageable, but the... The transfers just didn't hit. And, you, and maybe you look at teams like Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth, they made important January signings that really helped them push out of the relegation zone. Was that a season-defining time in this season? I, I think so, yeah. I, I, I've already touched on that recruitment, as you've already said. But no, the, 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 summer, the summer recruitment was, I think it was okay and and maybe looks a little bit better if Cody Gakpo comes through the door or Goncalo Ramos comes through the door, but neither did. I think the the, the signings in the winter window, you can tell it's a manic, like, we need someone who scores goals. Who can we bring in? Six foot eight, Paul Onoachu, who ended <laughs> up not really playing at all throughout the <laughs> entire season. Um no, it was just, it felt like panic stations. It felt like, oh, we've got to buy players for Nathan Jones. We've got to get this right. And then we sack him three weeks later. It's just unbelievable what a situation can do to a football club that and I think the league saw as quite sustainable, quite stable, never really took punt. Well, we took punts, but not risky punts. They were always under 15 million pounds because that's all we could afford. Um... But I think that's the reflection from from what the league looked looked at, and it's incredible how a relegation situation can completely turn a club around and go. No, we've got to stay up. We've got to recruit everyone under the sun, and and you can tell a lot of those deals just didn't really pay off. It it felt like another like Jairibo was said at the, in the summer. Jairibo was said, "Oh, what a what a recruitment that is! They got him for a bargain. He's going to be brilliant." And he hardly touched the pitch throughout the entire season. I think we've had too many of those this season to actually go. Yeah, we've had good windows, but we we just haven't. Maybe in the future you can look at a couple of them and go, "Yeah, no, they were good. We we managed to get promoted, or they've become first team players, or whatever." But neither of the recruitment windows were any good, and, and that is the reason why we've probably gone down. Um, but no, just lots and lots of panic stations really did did not help us in the um, in both windows. And yeah, just no. Again, it, it always comes back to the alignment of the club. The alignment's not happening at the top end. It's not going to happen at the bottom end. And all of a sudden, it's just all going to go. So that's why there's such an up upheaval at the moment with Sport Republic, like changing a lot of the heads. It's going to be done their way and. I'm I'm interested to see because of course Ankerson's had these projects at Midgieland and then at Brentford where both of them have gone very successfully and you could argue that they're two of the best well-run clubs in the country well not just in not in the country in Europe because Midgieland's in Denmark um, but <laughs> like when when you look at that sort of um, when you look at that sort of thing you think well if we do get it all aligned and it all sort of makes sense and we're using the data correctly then we might have some sex success from it. So that's that's the um, fingers crossed. For the second time, Southampton then changed their manager after a 2-1 loss against 10-man Wolves. We then replaced 
Nathan Jones with Ruben Sellers. 16 games left, four points of safety once again. The season, well, we could have still saved it, Ollie, but it didn't quite work out that way. And I remember at the time, three beat Chelsea 1-0, you said, hold off, hold mm-hmm. off. Don't, don't appoint him just yet. That we did, we went and did so, and it didn't yeah. quite work out. How much of an impact do you think that had on the season? Yeah, I've always had a bit of a thing with. I think I mentioned it at the time. So you want to go? I don't. I don't want to say I told you so, but <laughs> I always think with with caretaker managers or the assistant that steps in, you get that that little bit of a new manager bounce because they just take it back to basics. They don't want to implement something straight away. They just strip it back know what the players are familiar with. And I think that's where the success comes from. They know what the players are capable of doing. They just bring it back to the basics. You get a good result. And then there's that urge to be like, oh, they can fix the problem, put them in for permanently. But yeah, I was a little bit apprehensive at the time when we put someone in straight away. And it did make sense. And I think it's a strange one with, with the results he got. You look at the list that we did get points from. And they're all top six size. And Mikey's mentioned it before in previous podcasts. It's because that kind of counter-attacking pressing style works when play, well, players and teams set up to, to attack us so we can break away. But that's not the points we were setting out to try and get. We needed to get points from the teams around us because that's the ones that had the biggest swings. And you look at so many games where... They were so decisive. Both of both of the Forest games, the Bournemouth games, the teams that were in and around us, they were had so much more weight on them and we didn't get the results from them because we, we played a style that didn't really help. And I think that is that is really what was to our detriment. We couldn't pick up the points with the teams around us. And uh, I think Sellers kind of did as much as he could. He was drawing off his own lack of experience being a number two and then having his first um, foray into management, shall we call it, or stumbling into management as it kind of arrived. So you had these players who, again, struggle with leadership all year and now being managed by someone who's also very inexperienced in the Premier League. So it was a it was a double whammy and it it just kind of... It was just noticeable. We kind of got whitewashed by a lot of a lot of teams. Just kind of blew us away. We didn't pick up the points that we needed to, and we got a few surprise results when uh, when it was kind of least expected when the pressure was off. So that combination meant we didn't pick up enough points. We weren't consistent enough. And although it looked promising in some of the big games, it didn't really matter because a point against Arsenal looks fantastic, but it didn't it didn't matter in the game afterwards. We still lost it. And that's one of the points that I, I think since the start of the podcast, since since however long I can remember saying, mm-hmm. and it's, it was quoted by um, Ruben Sells from his final press conference at Southampton, where he go, when you play one of the big teams, you always have less time with the ball, and that's benefic- beneficial for us. When we have more possession, we don't manage it in the best way possible. And we knew that under Ralph. We knew that we couldn't break sides down. When teams played a low block against us, we couldn't we couldn't handle it. Uh, I think that was the main um the main thing that was learned on that that result I keep going back to when we lost 4-0 to Aston Villa uh, at the end of that fantastic run over that December period. 
Um, we lost 4-0 to Aston Villa and everything just changed. Teams then started playing those mid to low blocks against us. They weren't pressing us high, giving us space in behind. They weren't allowing us to play through the lines. They, they, they really sort of made it difficult for us to play the way that we want to play started going a little bit more direct and now you've got teams that actually want to bait a press in they want teams to press them because then it allows them to play those quick little triangles around them before exploiting the space that they've created so where we we basically didn't adapt i think that's what that's what the entire season has come down to is recruitment wise we didn't do very well managerial wise we didn't do very well but we didn't adapt throughout the entire season and try something a little bit different to try and get different results. We were throwing like bricks at a brick wall and it just wasn't working. Everything was bouncing back at us. It was, it was um, just nothing was changing. I think that's what the big change in the summer is going to be with the new appointments and the new way of playing. It's going to be that big change of can we control games and can we try and break down? Can we manage the ball better? Because that's what the last five, four or five years has been is we've never been able to manage possession. And when we have managed possession, we've usually lost because we can't break teams down from it. This has been a problem for ages. So yeah, it's just interesting that that's being brought up now the season's ended it's sort of like almost admitting what we can and can't do and what's going to be the change so mike you mentioned an interesting point there and that was one of them on the list of problems and i want to hit back at that point or sort of build on it rather than hit back you look at ralph harsnoodle successful in that 4-2-2-2 system nathan jones successful with luton town not so with stoke definitely not with stoke but successful in one way with Luton. Very successful, but one way successful. And then you look at Ruben Seles, very inexperienced, like Ollie mentioned, and didn't have that tactical fluidity, let's say, that he couldn't enter different games and approach them different ways. You know, you look at the likes of Brighton with Deserby, you look at Aston Villa with Emery, their new manager changes. I expect us to hit those sorts of levels, but they can play different systems in different games of different personnel and they can get positive results. Is that sort of the problem? Really, since that Aston Villa game, the teams caught us out, and we couldn't find an answer, really, at all. I know that we hadn't beat, beaten any of the top 10 teams this season, but we've got results that maybe other teams around us hadn't got. And the teams that we did beat in, you know, in and around us, the likes of Leicester, for example, and Chelsea, they should be in the top 10, but for this specific statistic, technically, or definitely they're not. <laughs> They're not, they don't play like that, so that's why we've been able to get at them. Uh, I think that was one of the issues with the recruitment is we, we signed players who were very similar to the players that we had before. We didn't really have a target man. Che was the closest thing we had to a target man, but he doesn't really jump that well, and he's not a goal threat either, and that's one of the big problems there. As much as we take the mick about Yannick Vestergaard, and especially the career that he's had post-Southampton, he was one of the main reasons we were so good over COVID, because of his switches of play. Because he could ping the ball left, right, and centre, and he had one of the best passing ranges that I think we've had in a centre-half at Southampton. And we lost that, we didn't replace it. We had two very effective tens, one of them being Stuart Armstrong. Stuart Armstrong didn't play half the season because he was injured majority of the time and we didn't we didn't do anything about that we didn't try anything around that like when you when you look at the adaptability that some people show like here we go oh pep guardiola best best manager in the league plays a 4-3-3 wonderful like different ways of 
of playing but he switched systems over city so many times he's now playing three like he always used to say in spain that he wanted to play a team of midfielders if he could play a team of eights team of javis and iniestas he would and that's what he wanted to achieve he now plays without any midfielders if you genuinely look at it as a tactic he plays three center halves he plays two defenders in front of that and then he plays five attackers and that is how it operates of course it's a little bit more complicated than that but de bruyne definitely not a defender you look at players like mares phil foden erling Haaland; they're not defensive players but rodri could play as a center back john stones now plays as a defensive midfielder he doesn't play with full backs carl walker is now basically a center half so he's even changed and adapting ways that he can get the best out of things and i think that was the issue with with um with ralph was that he tried to change he tried to adapt but it was it was negative it wasn't positive we weren't trying a different way of pressing we weren't pressing at all we we were becoming more limited in what we were good at with nathan jones i don't think he was there's, there's an argument that he wasn't given enough time but there was no success with that we got a couple of we got a very lucky win against crystal palace in the cup we got lucky wins in the league cup against sheffield wednesday um and lincoln city um for both of them um we got a very good win against man city as as was mentioned before but apart from there was not really a lot there to to gauge improvement from what we'd seen before and i think his personality was just annoying majority of the fans anyway so that didn't really help um and sellers went back to what ralph was doing so it didn't really change it didn't it didn't make it nothing was positive every single change was negative like under under jones playing a back five under sellers we went we didn't go back to being pressing we we went to a mid block more and didn't look to press high so all of those instances you can see it's just negative 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 and we didn't really adapt and try and try something new we always just looked to be the same and it just yeah uh, uh, it, it just that that was the annoyance coming from like if we do employ dice yeah we rip up the playbook but at least that's something a little bit different that maybe we can get a couple of results with so yeah i yeah. mean if we rip up dice uh, no <laughs> don't, don't want to rip, rip up, up dice, dice. Harry. that's not, <laughs> that's very, not nice. very nice harry <laughs> <clears throat> i mean if we get dice we at least don't rip up our premier league status i guess that's the main thing or at least you never know Everton, they almost got relegated with Dice. We're probably pretty likely, or pretty lucky, I should say, to stay up. The last point about things that affected our Premier League season was the goalkeeping position. Jamie, it was a big debate point a couple of months ago about having Bazunu or McCarthy. You know, McCarthy injured for a lot of the time, but he did come back and was on the bench for some of And, you know, we have a, a capable goalkeeper in Willie Caballero as well. Do you think it was a maybe a, a poor choice not to take Bazunu out the firing line in hindsight? Um, or do you think they would have ruined his confidence? Then again, if it ruins his confidence, we stay in the division. The club's the most important thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really think that was our main issue. I think everyone was a bit rubbish. Yeah. I know obviously <laughs> the stats don't really help Baz, I guess, but I don't know if a Baz, yeah, or a nickname basis. But I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I just think McCarthy, if it was any other keeper other than McCarthy, is a yay. But McCarthy's just not that much better. He's just older, so it looks like he's better. That's literally the only thing against him, really. That's the difference is he's a little younger, younger than all of us, actually, which is a bit weird to think. But I don't really think that if we changed McCarthy in sooner, it would have been our main issue. But 
it's like the people on Twitter saying, oh, we chose to sign McCarthy over Forster. It's really, uh, it's like, that's not what happened at all. It's like, we wanted loads of money and we can we want to go for a younger player. That's what happened. It's like, maybe if you get Forster, eh, could have possibly seen he's, the Prem because he is, yeah. he's, he's still decent. Well I know, but Spurs oh, haven't had a best season themselves. But I still think that it's just, either way, it would have made no, much of a difference because they're both a bit rubbish. But Bazuna has the qualities in him to be a better keeper than McCarthy eventually. But either way, it's not much difference. Yeah, I mean, he'll be an important part of our championship team next season. Well, I was just looking at some stats for Bazunu, and I know midway through the season there was that quite damning um, post about how the goals that he's prevented. And I can't find any for um, McCarthy's. Maybe there's not enough for his kind of stint near the end of the season, but... For instance, I think Allison is up there and he's kind of prevented nine goals from going in over the averages. And Bazunu is near the end of the scene and is about minus 20. So there's ones that basically him being in goal has probably conceded us about 20 more goals than we should have. So really quite poor. And I don't have it for McCarthy, but because obviously it's a much smaller sample size. But to be honest, I don't think I've seen anything from McCarthy where I've thought he's been any more... Like he's prevented us any goals. I think he's just been a little bit more stable. He's not been as good with his distribution. It's just been a bit more of a consistent person in goal. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think there's also been some times where you question if McCarthy could have done better as well. But I don't think there are as obvious mistakes. So I don't think in the stats it would show up as, as much. I'm hoping Mikey's got something on his computer, but I don't know. I might be throwing him something in his... Any luck? Uh, I was I was going to say that any club that concedes seventy three goals throughout a Premier League season, you probably just can't point it down to one thing, yeah. uh, and that you can point it directly to the goalkeeper. Like there, there are elements throughout the season that, of course, you saw Bazunu's mistakes, you saw Bazunu's like misjudgments and lack of experience that made him. Probably like as as Jamie said, he's probably got a really good future ahead of him and probably can play at that level in the future. But he wasn't good enough at the start of the year. And I think that was the issue. There there was reports that um during the time that Nathan Jones was at the club, he actually wanted to play Alex McCarthy in goal. But McCarthy got himself injured during that span and just didn't recover in time to play under Jones. Um, the recent change has probably been due to that is to give Bazunia refs a bit of time off before next year because you'll probably be here next season um, and and just give a little bit more solidity in goal I would say but I wouldn't have, I, I don't think there's been a lot that McCarthy could have done throughout the rest of the year and I actually think Bazunia did have a quite a strong second half of the year he didn't feel as loose as he did in the first half but yeah, no, I, I think goalkeeping-wise, it was definitely a giant punt to um, put Bazunu in goal in the Premier League with such low experience and only playing in League One. However, I think on the other hand, the club couldn't have continued with Forces' contract if he wasn't going to be a number one. Uh, and McCarthy is being paid way too much to be kept on for next season. So I can see McCarthy leaving the club anyway. Um, but I think there may have been a little bit more of a battle, but it would have been interesting to know what Hassan Hootel's relationship was with McCarthy 
because of course those two had known each other for a very long time he's just been wowed by this irish 20 year old who can play in goal and looks really good so yeah no i i I don't know, but hopefully he's better next season. He's had a year of um, Premier League football under his belt. He's going to go to the Championship, which may have been a um, better move for him um, for this season to allow him to have that step up from Pompey to go and go and play in the Championship. But you know, people make mistakes. Like you, you look at you look at a couple of the mistakes he made throughout the year. Hopefully, he'll just grow from that, and, and next season he'll do better. Right, before signing off, I want all of your three's top three reasons why we're now a championship side. I'll go first. I think mm-hmm. number three, the tactics. I just don't think they're right during the entirety of the season, or at least against the teams around us. We weren't flexible enough. We weren't able to break down that mid to low block. Number two, bringing in Nathan Jones, that eight-game spell where we had a couple of really good chances to pick up points. We only beat Everton. And the number one was poor transfer recruitment in the summer. The ins, the outs, overall, too many changes, too quickly. Jamie, what are your top three reasons? Jones, Atkinson, and Arebo. Oh, Okay. Not doing anything. <laughs> Singling out Joe <laughs> One player. <laughs> really getting really get that hard from Jamie there. Who oh uh, Ollie, what do you think? Yeah, number one for me has got to be the transfer policy. Um, second for me is, is the managerial changes. Um, probably Nathan Jones being the main one. Just poor decisions. Uh, the, the one thing that really annoys me is when it came out that the more experienced managers that were possible, like a possibility was seen as too obvious. Now, I don't know what, um, whether that's just kind of taken out of context or something. You have to take everything with a pinch of salt when it's from these, these sources. You don't know exactly where that's come from, but that really annoys me that taking, considering we try to be as sensible as possible for everything, just couldn't have a look at someone with a bit of experience in the Premier League that we so desperately needed. Um, so, yeah. Transfers at one, managers at two, um, and then third for me would be, um, yeah, the higher up boards not quite knowing the direction they want to go into, and then massively changing everything as we go on. So, yeah, I think questions have to be having a look at the board. I know Ankerson gets a lot of the main stick because it's it's kind of his idea, his master plan. But yeah, um, some of the board leading this year I think is right, and hopefully we will see a little bit of change with this restructuring as we go through in the summer. And Mikey, what are your three reasons? The winter transfer window, I think that just made it a complete mess. Uh, I think with the summer, you could sort of deal with it, a couple of additions in the winter, but I think it made it a complete mess and we didn't actually recruit for the for the role that we really needed, which was a six. We never recruited for that and we we lacked depth all season. Uh, I don't understand why it took them so long to realise that Diallo just wasn't good enough as a as the singular depth player behind Lavia and Warprouse to actually allow that. Um, I think number two is not sacking Ralph in the summer. I think that that was a big call the club made, changing everything else and recruiting in a certain way to then not sack him. I think 
I I liked during that time. I liked the fact that he was given a chance because I did like Ralph. I liked the way that we played and we had some good times under him. But when you reflect back on it and you you look from future, um, I think not sacking him then just sort of spiraled everything else. I think the other thing is the alignment of the club. I think the little spats and the little arguments that happened in the higher ups between the new owners and the previous directors. I think that's that sort of caused that misalignment and some decisions were made and others weren't and probably should have been aligned a little bit better. I think if that alignment's there, I think Ralph gets sacked in the summer because I wouldn't be surprised if the board, the new directors wanted Ralph gone because of the results that was made. But the old board who had been with him for four years and basically worked beside him probably wanted to keep him around. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the split that happened. So if there's that the alignment there, I think all of that can sort of be brought together. But I think there's so. I think putting it down to three makes it quite easy to pinpoint things. I think there was there was so much wrong throughout the entire year that you could basically point out many things like that that could have been the problem. That's why I said the top three. The top three. <laughs> all the mention, all the ones that we mentioned are definitely reasons. But those are our top three. What are yours? At Saints underscore score. Tweet us your top three reasons. That's all we have time for this week. We spoke about Liverpool, that thrilling 4-4 game. We also talked about the rest of the season, the big issues on why Southampton FC got relegated to the championship. But hopefully this time next year, we'll be back talking promotion. I've been Harry Tizard. I've been joined by Ollie Boast. Thank you very much for listening. Jamie Allen. Thank you for listening. Up the Saints. Mikey Mazement. <laughs> Goodbye. And it's not over us for the season just yet. We've still got a few more podcast ideas that we want to bring to you. But it's over for this episode and we'll see you next time.